0: So, um, we are in Romans and we're at Romans 12. This is our fifth week in the book of Romans, and we have been talking about what it means um, for us Christians to be people who are not so jerky about our faith. So, across high school and college, I probably read The Handmaid's Tale about four times, I think. I think it was about four times. Um, is anyone familiar with The Handmaid's Tale? All right, we've got some people who are familiar. Um, if you're not familiar, The Handmaid's Tale, it's this classic dystopian novel written in the mid-1980s, uh, and it portrays this future Christian totalitarian government that is responding to all of the evils in the world um, that they deem the evils in the world, What they deem evil is... Homosexuality, women in the workplace, birth control, um, a lack of child rearing in general. In this future, um, infertility is now rampant in this community. It's an epidemic, and their solution to infertility is to sexually enslave fertile women and make them reproduce for the infertile elite of the society. It's it's dark. (laughs) Like, there is not a single redeeming character in the whole novel. Eh, I mean, there is, but very few, very few. So recently, Netflix came out with a, um, a version of this story. Has anybody watched it at all? How many of you, like, feel like you, like, have to go to church after you watch it? Like, there is something... I, I mean, I watch I watch Game of Thrones, and at least there are some, like, really good characters that just make you, like, see um, goodness on display. But, like, there are episode after episode after episode of Handmaid's Tale that just drive you into a depression. It can. Um, but what I noticed in it is uh, this... Emphasis on faith um, as words and actions, which makes sense, right? We know faith as words and actions. But this overemphasis on words and actions, so much so that the Bible is quoted throughout this all the time. In Handmaid's Tale, over and over again, the Bible is quoted. They greet each other in the streets with, um, blessed be the fruit of your womb. But there is this nasty creepiness about it. And so the, the use of words, I keep noticing over and over again, the use of words and the use of actions that follow those words, and basing them on on the Bible, saying that the Bible can teach you very well these things. And we've created an entire society that subjugates women based on using words and actions from the Bible. Offred is the main character in this, um, well, this show, but book first. Offred's the main character, and she's she wasn't really that religious to begin with. When you see her previous life, she's a spiritual but not religious. Maybe, maybe she's just atheist, I don't know, in her regular life. But she notices this emphasis on words and actions as it relates to the interpretation of scripture and knows something isn't right. She doesn't dismiss it altogether as this is Christianity in a whole. She knows there's just something not right about this. And so she finds written, etched into the wall in her room, a phrase that kind of gets her through. It's not a phrase from the Bible. In fact, it is um, not a phrase I would normally use in church around kids. Um, But she sees this one little phrase etched into the wall that says... Don't let the bastards get you down. And in that phrase, she begins to live in such a way that she, despite words, despite actions, can see a way through. If you haven't been with us up until now, um, we have been moving through Romans this summer under this assumption that the gift of Romans is that it teaches us how to not be jerky as Christians. In Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he is doing his best to help them see what is at the heart of their faith, what is at the heart of their faith, of their spiritual life, and to challenge them to live more fully into that. We have now in Sunday worship and through small group on Monday nights through um, Bible study, we've made it what I would say about halfway through Romans. And the reason why I would say we're halfway through um, is because of this one line at the end of Romans 11. For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If you've ever, have you ever prayed before? I mean, like, w- amen comes at the end. So there seems to be an end halfway in the middle of Romans, bizarrely enough. The fact that there is an amen like this in the middle of Romans has to be significant for us. We can't, like, we didn't even know Paul was praying up until now. And then all of a sudden, there's a prayer, and it says amen. Like, it's, it's confusing. Paul has just finished making a considerable amount of really important points all the way up through Romans 11. And while Paul likely sent this letter in full, we have to imagine um, that just like you all can't, y'all start complaining if I preach longer than 20 minutes, um, these people probably couldn't have listened to all of Romans in one sitting, right? And so maybe this is Paul's way of saying, Class dismissed. <laughs> Come back another day. We'll handle the rest of it. Maybe. I mean, that's my my assumption. Today we're we're diving with Paul then into the second half, the part after the Amen, um, Romans twelve, and what we're going to get in this second half of the letter is sort of the how to for what Paul has set up in the first half. To remind you of where we've been, because there are a few of you who have not been with us um, from the beginning, um, we have we're looking at Paul in a very particular way. We say that in Jewish society, um, up until this point in time, faith was seen as crossing a boundary. And so that's the bounded set mentality. Faith is crossing a boundary from out of the faith to in the faith. And we said that Paul is narrating it kind of differently. He's saying that faith is less about whether you move from out to in. Faith is more about are you moving closer to Jesus or are you moving further away from Jesus? And so people at a variety of points all over the place are moving closer or further away. Um, And that's, that's what really matters. Paul talks a lot, a lot about faith in these first chapters, but he never really, never really tells you what it looks like to have faith or how we grow our faith. And I'll say as a follower of Jesus, sometimes faith gets really Hard. Sometimes when I want more of it, or if I ask you, do you want more of it? I'm not exactly sure what that means or how to get it. You hear me say that and you go, I don't exactly know what that means or how to get that. Sometimes when people ask me questions about my faith, I don't really have good ways of defining what faith is. I have a really inclusive understanding of the gospel, but if someone asks me, really, what that means, I get pushed up against a wall a little bit. Because for me, faith is is not just a set of beliefs or a set of right actions. Faith is part of my existence, or it should be. And so when it comes to faith, I feel like I need a little bit of something to hang my hat on. I need something to get me through. And so perhaps... That's why we like boundaries. I think this desire to have something to hang our hat on is at the the heart of Offred's perseverance and The Handmaid's Tale. She has to find something because the words of Scripture have done her no good. So she has to find something else to get her through. It's at the heart of me being uneasy about whether or not there are boundaries to faith. It's at the heart of our Monday night... um, our Monday night Bible study has been has been really struggling with this. Like, we like the idea that there's no boundaries, but how is that actually lived out? Because it seems like there are, and what do we do with that? I told I told Ed that I was dedicating this sermon to him today. And so we start out in chapter 12 with Paul making this switch, where he goes from speaking theologically and practically about boundaries and church and who's in and who's out. Um, and why or why not are they in and out? And um, to offering us what I think are some really concrete, tangible things that we can hold on to when it comes to having faith. And so this is where hopefully we will all be brought onto the same page. <laughs> At the beginning of chapter 12, we get iconic Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as your spiritual worship. This is, this is strange language. Not strange for us, because we've heard it for a long time, but strange language. A living sacrifice. When, when they would hear sacrifice, when, when the people in Paul's day would hear sacrifice, they would think of killing something and putting it on an altar, And it was this really crucial part of worship, of faith for them, this sacrifice, this exchange. But what Paul is saying now is, this is what it looks like for us to live lives of faith, to live worship, to live out worship, to present not some slaughtered thing before God, but to present ourselves before God. This is our spiritual worship this would have been revolutionary. I mean, as much so as Jesus saying, I'm now your Passover, I'm now your lamb. This is equally as jarring for these people. And then Paul goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And this is super important. Paul is saying, you've been moving in a direction that is away from Jesus, don't be conformed to that direction. So that means some people are moving away from Jesus. For those of you who think I have been saying that everyone is moving closer to Jesus, I'm not saying that. Don't be conformed to that direction you are moving away. Where do you get this directional language? This, is, this scripture right here is why the bounded set makes no sense whatsoever. Because the word transformed means, in the Greek, to turn around. It doesn't mean to hop across. It doesn't mean to move from one place to the other. The word in the Greek means to turn around. And so that means you're going the wrong way. It's the same word we use for repent, to turn around. To turn your body around and reorient into a direction towards God. This is the verse where we blatantly come face-to-face with Paul's refusal to use in-and-out language. Paul uses the language of movement instead, moving from, um, from going one way to going closer to Christ. And this is what transformation looks like for us. This is the only way to narrate the life of faith. And so Paul in two verses, has pretty much summarized all of the last—those those two verses are meant in, in Romans 12 to summarize all of chapters 1 through 11. You've been going in the wrong direction. I'm going to turn you around, and you're going to go in the right direction now. But what comes next to Paul, for Paul in this verse is how to do that. This is where we get to the how-to. Um, what comes next for Paul is a list. Did y'all like notice the list? It felt very list-like. You could have put bullets on all those things. Um, what it means to have faith. But before we read that, I want to pause for a second and address some of some apprehensions. I, Paul, <laughs> for Paul to strip away the boundaries, and Paul does. I still do believe that Paul does it. I'm gonna stick with that. Some of y'all can disagree with me. I still believe that Paul strips away the boundaries. And for us to talk about that boundarylessness, that weird world of no boundaries, for us, is incredibly anxiety-producing. When we take away boundaries, it creates in us a sense of anxiety because how, how do we participate in this, then? We, we, if we don't know how to define ourselves and define where the, where, where the, the boundaries are, we see this in all kinds of places in our lives, too. We see it in kids who go to college, right? A kid goes off to college, and they've had the boundaries of their parents' household, and the rules, and the expectations of the house under curfews, and meal plans, and all that. And they go to college, and they gain 20 pounds in the first semester. And they are experiencing what it looks like to stay out past 12 for the first time. And then they just go completely crazy with it. Some of That might be some of you. It's, and it's anxiety-producing for parents as their kids are getting this, this taste of no boundaries all of a sudden. This also happens in dating, I would say. Think back to when you f- maybe first started dating or were going on first dates of some kind. Perhaps you're sliping tender right now while I'm preaching. That could be true. But remember that awful first date? Like you're on that first date and you have no clue what the expectations of this person are for you. No idea. And so you're just throwing jello at a wall, like, I'm gonna tell them every cool thing about me, because maybe one of these things will connect with them in some way, and then I'll have an end, and they'll remember that, that one thing for me. Um, this is why dating sites actually suggest, um, so online dating sites actually suggest that you have a friend or your best friend to fill out the profile for you, because you are likely to give such this, like, This generalized view of yourself, because you want as many possible people to to hit you up, like as many possible hits as we can. This is also a conversation we're having in the life of Kingstown, of who are we as a church, and that desire to not put boundaries on who we're for, Um, because. We want to be for everyone, but the reality is only certain people are going to be attracted to this kind of church. And it makes us feel really uncomfortable when we start talking about there being some kind of boundary, like in the way we set up our ideology that would keep people out. And so all of these things, boundaries, like when we don't have them, I get it. Like they cause anxiety. There's this anxiety when we don't know what's expected of us. And so we're just going to do and be just about anything. And, And that's what I think our fear is related to this passage. What Paul has been saying is for all your life, you've known that you belong to God because you have done your best to live within these boundaries. You've known God loves you because You've lived within the boundaries of the, the the Jewish Torah. You trust that God is for you because you have lived within the boundaries of the Jewish Torah. And then all of a sudden, Paul strips it away. Or Michelle gets up here and gives a particular interpretation of Paul. That strips it away. <laughs> these boundaries... I'm, and somebody tells you these boundaries aren't important and it's hard. Well, then how how do I know God loves me? How do I know I belong? How do I know God is for me? And this anxiety that removing these boundaries creates um, is what we're left with. And so when we are left with this anxiety, we do two things. We replace them with the world of The Handmaid's Tale, normally. We replace them with, first, a narrowly minded set of beliefs. We read the Bible, we see what it says, this is what we believe, and, um, and we have to fill that lack of boundary with something. Or we run into that doing place. If we do all the things, if we just fill our lives with sacred and worthy actions, and that can look like prayer, and it can also look like social justice, then I will be living this thing called faith. I don't think this is what Paul is saying. In fact, he spent 11 chapters not saying this. And so before we read Paul's list, I'm going I'm to present another way to think about it. So um, I want you to think of faith as comprising three things and that when one is missing, they're not complete. First, faith is comprised of words and beliefs. So I will say that's absolutely true. Words and beliefs. That is the word of God, which comes mostly to us through the Bible, right? Like we read the Bible, but it also comes from 2,000 years of church history and what theologians have said and what like pastors have said to us and what people speaking into our lives, all of those various things, people, pastors, priests, saints, theologians, the Bible. Those are words. It's words that instruct us on who God is, what God's about, how much God loves us, And then faith also has actions, works. You can't have one without the other. Works are the things that we do. So this is what we have in The Handmaid's Tale, right? particular set of beliefs and the living out of those beliefs and actions. We think that's what you're supposed to do based on how you read those beliefs. And these two alone get really tricky and really legalistic if we only have these two. And so I'd like to provide a third thing today. This is the one that gets overlooked fairly regularly. It's easy for us to go to the Bible and read right across it. Um, We rarely talk about it. When you think of Jesus, Jesus interacted with folks um, through teaching them And Jesus sent them out to do very particular things. Hey, go bring me loaves and fishes, and then we are going to multiply them, and you're going to do these actions. But all that time in between, what was going on? And between that time he taught them, and between the time he taught them and the time he sent them out, he spent a whole lot of time trying to get them to figure out what kind of operating sense he had. Who was he down deep inside? That's not a set of beliefs, nor is it a set of actions. And so I'd like to say that without the way of Jesus, you do not have a complete idea of what faith looks like. So I'm getting like, this is real practical now. This is not like throwing faith around and not really defining it. This is what faith is. It is words, actions, but also a very particular way that cannot be found merely in words and actions because there's no way that Jesus could have pinpointed all of the thousands of things that would happen to us in our lives, all the very thousands of things we're going to come against. I mean, just think of what's on the news right now, and how we in, interpret where Christians stand right now. Where where do we fall in this? And there are so few scriptures that tell us what to do here, or so many scriptures we misunderstand here, or try to employ in the wrong case here? What about all that stuff in between what Jesus told us to do and what Jesus said we are to believe? Um, my husband works for Geico, and Geico has been functioning, Geico Actuarial Office has been kind of thinking a lot about this new Google. Vehicle uh, and the self-driving vehicle thing. Uh, Google has been Google and insurance companies trying to figure out how do we how do we prepare for these self-driving vehicles and all the ways this this could go wrong. Right. So Google is putting the vehicles on the road and putting drivers in the vehicle just to make sure nothing happens. And they're trying to program these vehicles. With knowledge of the thousands of things that they could come across in a day, all the the stop signs and the uh, and the other vehicles coming near, and somebody swerving in front of, and the pedestrian on the crosswalk, and all that, like programming these vehicles to to be able to sense all of these things. Well, one of the Google executives was telling a story about this process, and said that. In the process, there was one one of these drivers that were with the vehicle said that in the middle of the street there was this woman in an electric wheelchair with a broom in her hand swatting at ducks to get them out of the road, and like that's not something you program a vehicle to be ready for, and I mean sometimes and I have to say know, like currently when I look at the news I think, I just picture a woman with a broom swatting ducks out of the road. There are so many things we could never have anticipated. And the Google car figured out how to move around this thing anyways. You can't anticipate an electric vehicle with ducks and a broom and a woman. But thanks be to God for that woman and for those ducks. <laughs> like, and that there's a vehicle that knows how to move around it. That is what The words of Jesus and the actions, the works, do not teach us how to sense. They don't teach us how to sense women with brooms and all the ducks they're swatting at. Because that's what it feels like the world is throwing at us. It's only knowing the way of Jesus. It's only knowing the character and the heart of Jesus that we are able to understand how to move in the world in these ways. Unfortunately, though, the church many times focuses all on the, the words and the actions, and then they begin to, in, as we are figuring out to how to move in a world where inclusivity is a big question and what does that mean for the church, we rely We have to rely, because we don't know what to do, we have to rely on words and actions. We have to stake everything on those. And so we'll return to that Leviticus passage um, to talk about homosexuality, right? We'll return to that over and over again because we've got to stake our way on those words. We have to. And there's this extra thing that we don't ever talk about, the way of Jesus, the way in between all of that stuff. Jesus, the heart of Jesus, came about and began to be noticed in us. Character, the character of Jesus and the character of Jesus in us is that fertile soil which good fruit comes out of. It's not those things. It's an incomplete faith without those. And so I also, though, when you think about this, this is the complete faith. So if we want to talk, if you want to have a conversation with me about boundaries, this is what complete faith looks like. But there's something called prevenient grace that works in all of these things. How many people do you know who every bit of their faith revolves around what the Bible told them to do. How many people do you know like that? They haven't figured out how to serve their neighbor. They haven't figured out how to discern the way of Jesus, but they will tell you all day long that the word of God is the word of God. And guess what grace works for them in that? The provenient grace of God, it's not a full picture of faith but grace works for them in that. How many people do you know who are out there serving all the time, doing good works by their hands, don't know the way of Jesus, don't know that Jesus told them to do that, or don't have the words to match with that? It's not a full picture of faith, but they're experiencing faith in and of themselves because of the pervenient grace of Jesus that works in that anyways. The way of Christ, how many people live the way of Christ, live with this deep, profound character that looks and feels just like Jesus? Don't necessarily pray every day. Don't have words to describe that as being a part of the kingdom of God. But they are. So this is the complete picture, and I'm not saying that this isn't what we're aiming for. This is what we're aiming for. This is what sanctification looks like. But to say that we're moving closer or further away from Jesus is to say that all these people in all these places are a part of that picture. I want to ask, does that make sense? But it feels like that's a classroom environment thing to say. So I'm going to, um, to give you something now. And I want to give you, what I have not given you yet, where did I put them, is that list from Romans 12. So let's, let's look at the list together. we pass it back? Classroom time. Here we go. Pass those back. Moving a little bit of things around in the service today, so we're going to move our prayers of the people to right now. So here is the end of Romans, starting with about, um, I didn't put the verses, but I believe it's like verse 14. Um, this is the message version of this. I'm just Let's just read through it and kind of just like soak in what this says. This is not what we are to do, it's not what we are to believe, but it's the way we are to live our lives. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help those in need. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh when others are happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be that great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. If you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. If, he, if, he, if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. I think you could break it down into four categories of what is the way of Jesus. A love that is genuine. A fervent seeking after God and serving of others. A generosity with your life and with your your finances and with everything, just spilling over in generosity, and then this living for reconciliation, always, always, always living for healing and reconciliation. This is the way of Jesus, and this doesn't really tell you what to do. I mean, even you could. That's uh, there's an action in the last one, the feed the hungry piece, but quite frankly. Um, how many of us are hungry too? So whatever you have in your mind of what it means to feed the hungry, it's to discern who around us is parched in life and how to be present for those people. This is the way of Jesus. So I would love for the band to come forward and to say that you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice before God is this way of of surrendering. And this is the way of surrendering. Guess what? On that diagram, you don't surrender to the words of Jesus. You, do, you listen to them, right? Like, you don't surrender to the words. You listen to them. You don't surrender to the actions of Jesus. You do them. You surrender what it means to give up of yourself. That's only in the category of way, it's the way you surrender yourself to the character, the way of Jesus. you allow your life to be in a posture where God can fill you with these kind of things. And so I want the band to just play for a little while and um, and just be in prayer about like where do you find yourself here? do you need do you need more um, do you need more genuine love? have Do you feel like a f- phony half the time? Do you feel like that? Pray, do you? Do you need more fervent? Are you are, do you feel like a lazy Christian? Do you feel like you you don't have that desire and motivation in you to serve others? Do you need more generosity? Do you need more sense of reconciliation with your neighbors? Where are you on this? Let's pray.